Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that happen in history. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hi. Hello. So, uh, once again, we are both fairly unwell. Um, Amelia's All right worse. for outing us. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think that it would be pretty obvious because you sound pretty stuffed up. So, all right, <laughs> so rude. Also, I just, I kind of hate the number of times we started this podcast with "we're ill." I know, right? It's, it's, it it's is like, my fault. Yeah, it's a lot recently, and you know what? With you being a teacher and kids not wearing masks anymore, the plague vectors are around. They are. Yeah, absolutely. God bless them. So, I thought that I would distract us from our respective illnesses with a kind of fun, silly story. Okay. And it's kind of a silly story that becomes a bit of folk legend almost. Ooh. Uh, in amongst Londoners of the 18th century, Gorblami. Oh, nice. I mean, Londoners of the 18th century seem to have made anything into folk tales. Absolutely. Uh, to be honest, though, this guy definitely deserves it. Oh, cool, cool. This week, we are going to talk about Jack Shepard, who is famous for his multiple escapes from prison. Oh, that's cool. So Jack Shepard, alternately known as Honest Jack, Jack the Lad, and Gentleman Jack... I mean, they're all called that, though, aren't they? I mean, this is the thing. I'm not sure the origin, but it does seem like everything is Jack. But in this case, he is actually called... Well, he's actually called John. Right, yeah. But Jack makes sense, sure. Yeah, Jack is short for John. I think we've covered that before. Yeah, I mean, it's not short for John. It's the same number of letters and syllables. Yeah, absolutely. English is weird. It is, absolutely. Um, So he was born on the 4th of March, 1702, in Spitalfields, in the east end of London. Amazing. Which obviously has always been a pretty deprived area. Yeah. Is it still? Uh, Actually, probably less so now. Well, it's hard to say. They do still have impoverished areas and stuff like that. Yeah. But particularly in this time, the East End was a Mm. nasty, gritty place. Especially if it's called Spitalfields, which I don't know the origin of that. It probably means something else, but it (laughs) sounds grim. Yeah. Well, he was born to a poor family, obviously. And it was definitely clear that his family were worried about infant mortality, which, you know, was pretty high amongst the poorer classes. Yeah. And we know this because he was baptised the day after he was born. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He, his older brother, John, after whom he was named, had actually died at a young age. So yeah. So his parents had every reason for fearing the worst. Oh, God. And naming your kid after a previous kid is such a common thing. Yeah. Like, there was... So I'm researching my family history at the moment, yeah. but... Um, some other people have done some of it for me in the past and I just need to find where they put it online. Yeah. Um, apparently there was somebody back in the day who had like 16 children and about four of them were called William. Oh, right. Which is so sad. Yeah. Well, it just seemed to be the custom at the time. Mm. You just kind of... The next child is a continuation of the first. I guess. Or it's like a way of remembering them, but it does become sad when you're now on the fourth William. Yeah. Well, this was the second John, later called Jack. 
And uh, he makes it to adulthood, he so we're indeed. all good here. And he has two other siblings, a younger brother called Thomas and a younger sister called Mary. Well, they're going through all the basic names today. They really are. Uh, unfortunately, Mary does not last very long. Oh, no. Um, but she lasts slightly longer than Jack's dad, who dies basically before Jack can know him. Oh, no. And then two years after that, Mary dies. So it's just uh, Jack's mother him and his younger brother Thomas. A difficult position for a lady in Victorian times in the East End of London, I would assume. Absolutely. Now, his dad was a carpenter and he earned a pretty decent living Mm. as far as things could go for the time. So without that income, uh, Jack's mother is forced to do the only thing she can do, which is send Jack away to the workhouse. Great. Uh, He was sold to a cane chair maker who decided to, you know, take the boy in, teach him the ways of making cane chairs. Okay. Unfortunately, this man died. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And Jack was sent back to the workhouse. Yeah. Where he was sold again. Yep. To a second cane chair maker. Really? (laughs) Yes. God, how many cane furniture makers were there in the Victorian period? I have no idea, but... I I guess you have to have something to sit on in your conservatory. Indeed. Or whatever the Victorian equivalent is. Now, this second cane chair maker Mm -hmm. was apparently quite a cruel man and mistreated Jack quite badly. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Like, that really sucks, especially when you've got a kid that's that vulnerable. Like, it's very easy to get them in that position, you know? Absolutely. But fortunately for Jack... His mother knew about his situation and was able to help out. Okay. She was working for a man called William Kneebone. No, she wasn't. (laughs) She was. And what did he do for a living? Uh, He was a wool draper. What? Basically, he sold wool. Okay, okay. he had a shop and he employed Jack's mother uh, since her husband died. Mm. And he agreed to employ the 10-year-old Jack as a shop boy. Okay. Oh, that's decent of him. Yeah, and he even taught Jack how to read and write. Nice. And gave him a bit more of an education to the point where at age 15, Jack was able to be apprenticed out to a carpenter by the name of Owen Wood. (laughs) My God. I know, right? (laughs) Um, What year is this again? Uh, So at this point, this would be 1717. Okay. Did you know that it wasn't part of the law to have compulsory education until 1880? That doesn't surprise me, to And be then honest. it was only till the age of 10. Yeah. But, like, even educating kids to read and write was not on the table. Oh, no, absolutely. So Jack kind of, like... He's had, got an advantage there. Yeah, he had a rough start, but it looks like he's, you know, getting on his way. He's apprenticed, he's going to be in a good position. Carpentry is a decent trade. Mm. And, uh, he and bas- his dad's trade. Yep. And he basically signs on for a seven-year indenture... Okay. With Owen Wood. So he's got seven years guaranteed that he's going to be working mm. for Owen Wood. That's a pretty good setup, to it's be honest. It's pretty good, yeah. Uh, his brother Thomas would also go on into the carpentry business in a similar way. Not with the same man, but mm. he also, you know, got apprenticed out. Okay. And for the next five years, we don't have much about Jack because he was just kind of a nice boy and a diligent worker. Okay. Uh, despite being only five foot four and very slim, he was oh. he was known to be very strong for his size. Okay. Uh, he was also very charming, apparently. So he could do his work and he could do it well and he got on with people. In 1722, however, Jack began visiting taverns a lot more and more often. How old was he at this point? 
Uh, at this point, he was 20. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, this being the East End, most of these pubs were hangouts for the criminal classes. They were hives of scum and villainy. They very much were, particularly one of the uh, pubs that he would frequent most often. It had been recommended by a friend of his and a lot of people who are kind of famous now in the London underworld of the time used to drink there. Okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But also, oh dear. What's the name of the pub, by the way? Do we know? Uh, we do, but I haven't written it down. Okay. One moment. Uh, it was called the Black Lion, and it was on Drury Lane. Do we know if it still exists? Because that would be cool. I don't think it does. Oh, that's a shame. Um, but, like I say, many people went here. Many people who went on to become quite famous in the criminal circles of London. Oh, dear. Absolutely. Not now, where you want your 20-year-old carpenter son, son hanging out. No. Now, there's some debate about exactly what happened with Jack... Because it's around 1722 that he seems to have a bit of a change of personality. Okay. And previously being, you know, this quiet, charming boy who worked diligently being a carpenter, he suddenly started enjoying more of a hedonistic life. Okay. Uh, He would go to lots of pubs, he would frequent brothels, and he got involved with these criminal classes. Now, some people put this down to it simply being the fact that this was his area and it was almost kind of inevitable that this is the turn his life would take. Yeah. You know, when you don't have opportunities, yeah. just you just do do make do with what you've got. That makes sense. Other people tend to blame, of course, a woman. Okay. Uh, this particular woman was Elizabeth Lyon, who was a sex worker, also known as Edgeworth Bess. God, that's a good name, though. It is a good name. And she does go on to uh, join in with Jack with his various criminal escapades. Okay. Um, But it's also quite possible that, you know, it's just some weird latent misogyny right there, sort of going, ah, the woman taking this bright young boy and corrupting him. Yeah. Others have taken kind of a romantic view and that he was becoming kind of disgusted with his lot in life and the drudgery that was forced on the poor in London. So he turned to a life of crime to rebel against authority. Okay, sure. I mean, I think you could probably take any number of those and like piece them together in different ways. Mm. Um, It's Uh also quite possible that, you know, Jack was just always like this and we just didn't know that much about him because he's not the sort of person that you write that much about. Yeah, how would you keep tabs on him? Exactly. How long was he... So he had his apprenticeship by this point, right? Well, he was five years into his apprenticeship, so he still had about two years to go. Okay, so this is what I'm thinking, which is basically... As, as a teacher in the modern world, we have to keep a lookout for signs of kids getting involved in what's called county lines. Yeah. Which basically means that um, people from London uh, come up to nice places like Norfolk. Corrupting our kids. Corrupting our kids. And they pick on kids who are especially vulnerable in one way or the other. Which doesn't necessarily mean that they're poor kids. It yeah. might mean that they're middle class, but that they're not getting, like 
quite the right amount of nurture from their yeah. parents or they feel left out of something and then they encourage them to sell drugs to mm. the community um and i kind of wonder like maybe is that kind of thing going on in his life given that he's still quite a young man mm. he wouldn't have had a lot of money at this time and True. maybe if he happens to just fall in with the wrong lots they might influence him to become quite a different sort of person. Yeah. Like, it's, it's quite easy to happen to anyone who doesn't have, like, a really solid community around them. Yeah, it's quite possible. And he was definitely supplementing his income with uh, petty theft, basically. Yeah, uh, he that got, makes sense. Yeah. He got involved in pickpocketing, shoplifting, and housebreaking. Great. Um he also began to talk back to his master a lot more. Oh, no. And arguing, and mm-hmm. even on one occasion, started beating him with a stick. See, that's exactly the kind of thing that we're encouraged to look out for. Exactly. Not quite the beating with a stick thing, yeah. because where would the kids get a stick from? But <laughs> <laughs> On the 2nd of August, 1723, he formally quit his apprenticeship, despite having less than two years to go. Uh-huh. I mean, to be fair, I think... That's got to be an awkward situation at this point when the apprentice has beaten his master with a stick. It's like, you can't really go on from here even if you wanted to. No, I mean, what are you going to do? The best you could do is have your, like, have your master, like, fob you off onto somebody else, I guess. You can't really continue that relationship. No, not really. But he decided, you know, he's not going to continue with the carpentry. He's going to go all in on the crime. Sure enough, yeah. So... Unfortunately, it might be a trait in this family because his brother Thomas, who also was apprenticed to be a carpenter, has also become a petty criminal. Okay. And uh, he actually got caught pretty early on and was actually branded on his hand as a thief. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. But his brother Thomas is like, hey, I've got this idea. There's this house that I know that we can burgle. Ooh. So Thomas, Jack and Elizabeth Mm -hmm. all get together on the 5th of February, 1724 and burgle this house. Uh, Thomas was caught, uh, but Jack and Elizabeth managed to get away. Okay. However... I'm worried about Thomas. Well, in order to lessen his own punishment, Thomas decided that he was going to inform on his brother and Elizabeth. Understandable. So now there was basically an arrest warrant out for uh, Jack and Elizabeth. Yeah. Now, this would have been all right. Jack, you know, had people he knew. He had lots of friends, being very charming. Mm -hmm. Lots of places he could lie low. But unfortunately, despite this charm, he did have some enemies. And one particular enemy is probably the worst enemy you could have. A man by the name of Jonathan Wild. Okay, that's a cool name. It's a cool name and he's kind of a cool dude and a bit of a bastard. Cool. To be honest, I think I'm probably going to do an entire episode on him because he is fascinating. But suffice it to say that Jonathan Wild was nicknamed the Thief Taker General. Okay. He was very adept at catching criminals, recovering stolen goods and delivering them to the law. Cool. This was mostly because Jonathan Wilde was himself a criminal and the head of a small criminal empire. Oh my god. So of course he had a lot more information than the authorities did. Yeah. And what he really wanted more than anything else was to have basically complete control over the criminal underworld in London. Okay, so he's basically selling out everybody else. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. God, the mafia never changes, does it? I know. 
Now, Jonathan Wilde actually used to go to the same pub as Jack Shepard's. Well, that's where all the criminals hang out. Yeah, and they were friends for a little while. Okay. But when Jonathan Wilde kind of set up his crime syndicate, he wanted Jack to join him. Mm-hmm. And Jack was kind of like, nah, I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. Right. Now, of course, Jonathan Wilde, not going to like this. No, he's like, I want all the crime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So when Jack meets up with an old friend of his, James Sykes, who was nicknamed Hell and Fury. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. It's amazing. That's not a nickname. No, I know, right? Uh, He doesn't think much of Sykes inviting Jack to go to a pub and play a game of Skittles. (laughs) Like actual Skittles, like bowling. Yes. That's so cute. I know, it's really cute. But James Sykes was actually one of Jonathan Wilde's men at this point. Makes sense. So Sykes had basically got together with Wilde and said, I know Jack, he's not going to you know, suspect me, Mm -hmm. we can set up a trap for him. So Jack turns up to this Skittles game and gets immediately arrested by a constable. I wonder if Bill Sykes was named after Jack Sykes in some way. Uh, James Sykes. James Sykes, sorry. You know what? I thought I wondered the exact same thing while I was writing this. Like, maybe it's just that Charles Dickens read the name and was like, that's a cool name for a criminal. It could be. I mean, when your nickname is Helen Fury. Yeah, that's a very Bill Sykes name. It really is, isn't it? (laughs) So Jack was arrested and he was sent to St. Giles's Roundhouse. Okay. Now, I don't know if you know about the roundhouses. Um, they were kind of small prisons. Uh, okay. Frequently, they were similar to like village lockups. Right. And they were frequently round, hence their name. Okay, cute. So you've got like a few rooms in them, like they're maybe a few stories tall. Mm-hmm. And they're basically just prison cells. Okay. It, it's kind of like a... Pre- a precursor to the old police boxes. Okay, right. So you could just stick people in there and go on your way. Yeah, and then you'd come back later and they'd get their proper trial and go to the like the proper big prisons. Okay. They weren't round like prisons used to be back in the Victorian times, were they? Like, um, they used to make round prisons on purpose mm-hmm. so that all of, the, all of the prison cells were kind of wedge-shaped and that way the guard could look in on all of them at the same time. I see. I don't think so, because many of these... I mean, some of these were small enough that they only had one cell. Okay. I mean, they might just be round because it's cheaper to make round buildings, actually. (laughs) I think it might well just be that, because they were not, you know, hugely secure in many ways. Okay. Um, Like, it's just a place to lock someone up and go away, then. Exactly. Okay, cool, cool. So Jack was locked up in the upper room, which was two stories from the ground... Okay. But thanks to a razor blade he had hidden on his person, he managed to break the stretcher off a chair, which is like the horizontal bar. Right. And he used that to smash apart the roof and create a hole wide enough for him to escape. Oh, my God. I mean, I could see how you can do that in the 1700s, but it's mad you could ever do that. I mean, it is mad, but... One of the problems with it is obviously this is a very loud escape attempt. It is, yeah. And while he's smashing apart the roof, a crowd starts to fall. (laughs) And they're kind of like, someone's trying to break out of the roundhouse. Yeah. Now, fortunately for Jack, him being very slim, 
is going to help him not just in this situation, but in a lot of situations. Okay. So he manages to create a hole that's small enough that it's hard to see from the ground, but big enough that he can escape. Okay. So he gets out and he manages to uh, knot together a rope from his bed sheets. Oh my God. Classic prison escape that's style. That's so classic. And he climbs down into the neighboring churchyard. I love it. However, he still needs to get away and there's this crowd there. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he slips into the crowd mm-hmm. and basically shouts, there he is, I see him. <laughs> and the crowd runs off to go after the apparent escapee. Why is this escape route like a point and click adventure game? I don't game? know, but it really is. So Jack manages to walk away freely. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So despite being locked up and kind of knowing at this point that Jonathan Wilde is not happy with him, Mm. Jack decides he's going to continue with his life of crime. Sure. I mean, what else does he have? I mean, pretty much. He and Elizabeth, uh, the next night, break into a house of an old man. The next night? The next night. Oh my God. They put a noose around the neck of the old man and threatened to hang him if he disturbed them as they plundered the house. Oh my God. Now, the thing is, it's unclear if Jack would have actually gone through with this because Jack never actually killed anyone. Okay. Ever. Like, he barely hurt people. He was known to be, like, a really non-violent burglar, which is one of the reasons that he became a sort of folk hero. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You can't like somebody who goes around actually murdering people. Exactly. But, you know... Threatening to do it and just sort of pretending, that's some real, you know, tricks to folk hero territory. Yeah. Uh, So on the 19th of May, uh, Jack encountered a crowd of people. In the centre of the crowd, a gentleman was accusing a woman of trying to steal his watch. Right. So, taking advantage of the commotion, Jack slips into the crowd Mm -hmm. and picks the gentleman's pocket, stealing his watch. That's amazing. (laughs) He tried to slip away, but he was seen and the alarm was raised. Yeah, you probably don't want to pick the pocket of a man who's just drawn attention to the fact he thinks that someone's tried to nick his watch, I know, right? I kind of get the feeling that Jack is a bit of a daredevil. Yeah, it sounds like it. He's not doing this because it's a smart idea. He's doing this because of the thrill. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately for him, there is a sergeant of the guard in the crowd who grabs a hold of him. Right. And... Jack tries a ballsy move, which is he shouts, stop, thief, and points away into the distance like he did when escaping from the roundhouse. Incredible. But this time the guard wasn't buying it and Jack was arrested for pickpocketing. So he was taken to St. Anne's roundhouse in Soho. Okay. And he didn't manage to escape that night. And the next morning, Elizabeth Lyon came to visit him. Unfortunately, because the authorities thought that she was his wife and that she was also a criminal, which, to be fair, she was, she was also arrested and put in the cell with him. Oh, that's awkward. (laughs) So the pair were taken before the magistrate and sent to the new prison, as it was called, in Clerkenwell. Okay. And they were basically told to wait there until a judge could see them. And it was also hoped that during their stay in New Prison, they would inform on some of their criminal friends. Sure. Instead, Jack's friends managed to sneak him a file during their visit. Oh my god. And he used this to saw through his and Elizabeth's manacles. Okay. Then... That's classic. Yeah. Then he used it to take one of the bars out of the window. Right. And used the bar to basically create a hole in the wall so that he and Elizabeth could escape. I think a lot of these escapes are relying on really shoddy 
building materials, I mean, though. I, to be fair, yes, but I think it was the case with most of these places at this point. And part yeah. of, part of the advantage is that Jack being very small means he needs to, you know, get rid of fewer bars before he can get through. That makes sense. Which is more of a problem for Elizabeth. Oh, no. Because Elizabeth is described as a large and buxom woman. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's how I want to go down in history. (laughs) So when they're escaping, uh, Elizabeth actually goes first, basically so that Jack can push her through from the other side. That's really funny, though. I know. I love it. Uh, So once again, using knotted bedsheets, as Mm -hmm. well as Elizabeth's gown and petticoats to make a rope, they climb down the wall of New Prison and into the yard of the neighbouring Bridewell. What is Elizabeth wearing by this point? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) Very little, we presume. Sure. (laughs) Now, we've talked about Bridewells before on this podcast, Mm -hmm. that they are kind of low-level prisons. Yeah. It's like for vagrancy and soliciting and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's somewhere between a prison and a workhouse, really. Yeah, absolutely. So it's obviously much less secure than something like New Prison would be. Yeah. Unfortunately, they do still have a 22-foot prison gate to get over. Okay. So Jack, who still has a bunch of tools with him, starts fashioning together little platforms to create a ladder. Why is he MacGyver? I don't know, but he really is. It only took him 10 minutes to make this ladder and get him and Elizabeth over the, fa- over the gate. That's where these carpentry skills are coming I into know, play, right? really. I know, right? Watch out for carpenters. They make bloody good escapologists. Yeah. <laughs> so this event became famous because Jack was, you know, a very small, slight man. Mm. And people were like, how is he able to do this? Especially when he has this fantastically curvy lady with him. <laughs> so Jack continued to ply his trade, including robbing his former master and employer, William Nebo. Oh! I know, it's bad no. form there. William Bone was super nice. Yeah, but Jack stole property to the value of £300. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's a lot. It is. And it was it was noticed. And it was noticed in particular by Jonathan Wilde, mm. who decided he was going to, you know, make another attempt to recruit Jack. Jack is clearly a good thief yeah. and good at breaking out of prison. Instead of snitching on people. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, he would be a really valuable person to have in his gang. So Jonathan Wilde's like, hey, I'm willing to let bygones be bygones. Why don't you join with me? Jack refuses. Yep. He basically prefers to be independent. Unfortunately for Jack, the fence that he sold William Kneebone's goods to was one of Jonathan Wilde's men. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. So he told Wilde about Jack and what he was doing. And this allowed Jonathan Wilde to put out another call for Jack to be arrested. Mm-hmm. In order to find out where he was staying, uh, Jonathan Wilde actually went to Elizabeth Lyon and basically plied her with drink until he managed to get her to tell him where Jack was staying. This is like... This all belongs in a TV show because it really it's does. also classic. I know, it really is. Like, I think that a lot of these like things that we consider tropes come from this sort of story. Yeah. So he was found and he was imprisoned, this time in Newgate Prison. Mm-hmm. And he was sentenced to death uh, on the 12th of August. As in he was, yeah, he was seen by the judge and sentenced on the 12th. Yeah, I get you. 
during the following days, he received loads of visitors because his exploits escaping the past two times had kind of made him a little bit famous. Mm-hmm. So what he was able to do was there was a particular barred window you could go to and speak through when you had visitors. Right. And Jack, who had spent a lot of time at this window, would spend the time chatting and secretly filing away at one of the bars. Yeah. On the 31st of August, two of his friends uh, distracted the guards and that allowed Jack the final push to break the bar away and using his slim frame, squeezed through and escaped from his cell. Amazing. His friends then gave him a disguise of women's clothes and helped... Yes! Yep. And helped get him out of Newgate. Oh, wonderful. It's so good, isn't it? That's so good. I really hope he was like, and I escaped dressed as a washerwoman. I mean, I think he did, to yeah. be honest. So then, continuing his sort of ballsy moves, he goes to the house of a man called Mr. Appleby. Okay. Now, Mr. Appleby was known to print and sell copies of the speeches of condemned prisoners. <laughs> Okay. So Jack decided to oblige Mr. Appleby with his own speech. Right. So I've got the letter here. Mr. Appleby, this, with my kind love to you, and pray give my kind love to Mr. Wagstaff, hoping these few lines will find you in good health, as I am at present. But I must own you are the loser for want of my dying speech. But to make up your loss, if you think this sheet worth your while, pray make the best of it. Though they do say I am taken among the smugglers and put into Dover Castle, yet I hope I am among the smugglers still. So no more but your humble servant, John Shepherd. P.S. I desire you will be the postman with this letter to Mr. Austin, the jailkeeper. So farewell, now I quit the English shore. So there's a second letter in here to Mr. Austin of Newgate Prison. Mm -hmm. Mr. Austin. You was pleased to pass your jokes upon me, and did say you should not have been angry with me. Had I took my leave of you, but now pray keep your jokes to yourself. (laughs) Let them laugh that win, for now it is an equal chance you to take me or I to go away. But I own myself guilty of that ill manners. But excuse me, for my departure being private and necessary spoiled the ceremony of bidding adieu. But I wish you all as well as I am at present. But pray be not angry for the loss of your irons. Had you not given me them, I had not taken them away. But really, I had left them behind me had convenience served. So do not be angry. And what is amiss done, you write, for my scholarship is but small. This from your fortunate prisoner, John Shepherd. So <laughs> wow. this was because the manacles that he was wearing, mm. uh, he had basically removed and left in his cell and they kind of became... Um, little what's the word like curios yeah and people would come and see them or they'd get sold on to collectors yeah newgate's kind of famous for um like having tourists really yeah, isn't it absolutely so i could imagine they'd be like oh so these are the very manacles that yes exactly jack shepherd was wearing okay so as he said he did leave london But only for a few days. Okay. And by the time he returned, what with his notes and his escape from Newgate, he was definitely a folk hero. (laughs) Okay, And because of this, news of his return got around. So on the 9th of September, a posse from Newgate managed to track him down and he was arrested for a fourth time. Oh my God. And this time, the authorities were more careful and he was searched multiple times during his stay. Twice, he was found to have 
somehow managed to get a file from something. <laughs> and it was taken away from him. Yeah. And Jack, who was clearly a bit drunk on his own legend, showed the guards how he would escape from his current cell and his manacles. Oh, hon. So they moved him to a more secure cell and put better manacles on him. Yeah. Although that said, this does sound like those people nowadays who hack websites just yeah. to show how they do it and then get employed for loads of money. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I doubt he would be employed, but no. if this were more modern, totally. Yeah. Fortunately for Jack, outside forces would help him with his fourth escape. Mm. One of Jack's former partners in crime had been arrested by Jonathan Wilde and had appeared in court with Wilde giving testimony against him. Now, during the trial, Jack's friend managed to briefly escape and stabbed Jonathan Wilde in the neck with a knife. Oh, my God. Jonathan Wilde actually survived this, but he spent many weeks recovering from his injury. Understandable. And during this time, a huge power vacuum had emerged at the head of the criminal underworld of London. So a lot of gang warfare started as people tried to carve up Jonathan Wilde's criminal enterprise. Right. And because of this, there was a lot of confusion with the authorities. So Jack wasn't guarded quite as closely as he would normally have been. (laughs) Okay. And because of this, he managed to pick the lock on his handcuffs. Uh Uh-huh. He climbed the chimney in his cell. Oh my god. Now, they did have the chimney, but there were loads of bars. Yes. So, we know he's good with bars, but there are a lot. Okay. But what he does do is he takes out a file, which I don't know how he got, (laughs) and he files one of the bars down. Right. He then goes back into his cell and uses the bar to break through the ceiling into the floor above. Okay. Okay, sure. He then continues to use the bar to break through six more doors Uh into the prison chapel and from there onto the roof of Newgate. Now, the roof was about 60 foot from the ground. Mm -hmm. So Jack returned to his cell. Right. Gathered up his bedsheets and (laughs) made a rope to climb down. Okay, this whole plan right here... Looks like the one out of Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> yeah, kind you know of when is. they just like work their way through so yeah, many floors it really and be like, is. "Excuse me, gentlemen." <laughs> but also, I love the number of times that he uses the bars to escape yeah. instead of just like taking out the bar and escaping through whatever the thing is the bar's been covering up. Well, the thing is that I think in many of these cases. Uh, Either the bars would not allow him enough room to squeeze through, Mm. or in the cases like in Newgate, it would be a sheer drop. Like, if he climbed that chimney, he would be really, like, he would not be able to get a rope to climb down. Yeah. So what he's doing is just creating more tools for himself. (laughs) Yeah. So he makes his bedsheet rope, and he climbs down, but he doesn't manage to get to street level. So what he does is he breaks into a neighbouring house. Right. And he creeps through the house and gets out through the front door without waking the people inside. Oh my God. Which is just cool. That's very cool. But also, imagine if you were living in a house close enough to Newgate that somebody can escape on a blanket rope and get into your house. Yeah. Yeah. They should be... They should be worried. They should be worried, but also, you know, counting their lucky stars that it was Jack Shepard who got into their house. Yeah. Now, this is made all the more amazing by the fact that 
He'd gotten rid of his handcuffs, but he still had his leg shackles on. Oh my God. So he did all this with leg irons. So obviously he needed to get rid of them and he also needed a place to lie low. Mm. So he went to Tottenham and he hid in a barn. Okay. Now the owner actually found him in the barn. But Jack told him that he was an escaped prisoner from the Bridewell that he had been arrested for not paying his bastard son's child support. (laughs) Right? And the barn owner apparently, I don't know, sympathised with him about this and decided to (laughs) let him stay there. Oh my God. Yeah. And this... That's so rude. Yeah. This gave Jack enough time to find a blacksmith who was willing to be paid 20 shillings to remove his leg shackles. Right. This escape was definitely his most famous... And it led to Daniel Defoe of Robinson Crusoe fame to become interested in Jack enough to write a biography of him. Mm. Although it wasn't actually published under Daniel Defoe's name, it was written as an autobiography written by Jack Shepard. But it's pretty conclusive now that it was Daniel Defoe who actually wrote it. Yeah, I think Daniel Defoe's had a tendency to do that. Yeah. So in October... Jack managed to get a good haul from burgling a shop and a pawnbroker's. Right. And with the proceeds, went on to go on a bender with two women on on Halloween night. He went on this massive pub crawl, including briefly stopping in to see his old mum. Oh, that's nice. Yep, he bought her a load of brandy. He was like, I'm sorry I robbed your employer, (laughs) mum. The one who did so much for you. Yep. But he gave her a barrel of brandy, so, you know, she's happy. Okay. And she basically said, Jack, this is nice, but you really need to be more careful. Yeah, and Jack's I would like, say so. Jack's like, no, no, it's fine. And he continues his pub crawl. I love it. A few pubs later, he's recognised and arrested. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> this time, he was placed in a cell in Newgate called the Middle Stone Room. It was pretty much in the centre and could be watched at all times. He was loaded down with 300 pounds of iron weights. <laughs> oh, don't give him more iron. That just gives him more to do with. <laughs> well, at this point, he was so celebrated that the jailers charged high society visitors four shillings to see him. Okay. And the king's painter, James Thornhill, actually came to the prison to paint his portrait. Oh, my God. And it was said of him during his time here that uh, he was always cheerful and pleasant to a degree as turning almost everything as was said into a jest and banter. To a reverend who visited him, he said, one file is worth all the Bibles in the world. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) He was so popular that several prominent people actually sent a petition to King George I begging for his sentence of death to be commuted to transportation. Okay. This was refused, but Jack was offered a reduced sentence if he informed on his criminal friends. Jack refused to do so. Okay. Because, you know... He's this cool, honourable folk hero at this point. He would have totally lost all credibility if he had. Exactly. So, unfortunately, on the 16th of November, 1724, at just the age of 22, he was taken from his cell to the gallows at the Tyburn to be hanged. He did try to escape. Good. He was, his hands were bound, but somehow he'd managed to get a penknife from somewhere. (laughs) How? I don't know. I don't know. No one seems to know. Like, okay, bearing in mind that the jailers were actually benefiting 
financially from the more escapes he yeah. did. Do you think they were maybe egging him on? I a think bit? it's quite possible, but he was caught and the pen knife was confiscated. Right. Nevertheless, there was actually an additional plot, one which Jack might not have actually known about. Oh. So the custom at the time was that a man was hanged for 15 minutes, after which his body was cut down. Small men like Jack were known to not only not have their necks broken when they, when, you know, yeah. they fell, but some were known to basically be on the brink of death not actually dead after 15 minutes. That makes sense. I mean, he would have been very light. Yeah, absolutely. So it would have been really unpleasant. Now, yeah, in most of those cases, the men would die, basically, of their wounds, as it were, afterwards. But Jack had a few fans in the crowd who who had put a plan together. It's possible that one of these people in the crowd was actually Daniel Defoe. Okay, cool. Their plan was He was to... like, I want to be able to write more novels. Yes. Yeah. His plan was basically... Well, their plan, I should say. We mm. don't know how many there were. Their plan was to wait until the 15 minutes was up, retrieve the body as soon as it was cut down, and they had a doctor waiting nearby ready to revive him. Oh, my God. Basically, they wanted him to escape death. Yeah. That's very cool. Unfortunately, Jack's other fans in the audience didn't know about this plan. Oh. And when he was hanged, they thought, you know, this death is going to be horrible. Yeah. We should make it quick for him. They swung on his heels. They swung on his heels. Yeah. Not only that, when the 15 minutes were up and the body was cut down, his other fans who thought that his body would be taken away and dissected... Okay. decided they didn't want that. So any attempt to take the body away caused loads of people to like tussle back and forth. Right. And his body was basically beaten to a pulp. Oh, God. In the ensuing confusion. Yeah. So, oh, God. <laughs> unfortunately, the last attempt did not work. Yeah. But his legacy has lasted. There have been books and plays and songs and musicals either written about him or including him as a character. One such book in 1840 by William Harrison Ainsworth was so popular that the authorities became afraid that people would start to emulate Jack's behaviour. So the Lord Chamberlain banned any plays being performed that involved the name Jack Shepherd. Really? Yeah. That's very cool. Which I think that is a pretty cool legacy to have. That is. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Electronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and hide some files on yourself. Bye! Bye.